Welcome, and thank you for joining us in your podcast, brought to you by Choice to Set Groups. Here you can be a fly in the wall to hear some of the personal stories of professional athletes, public figures, and business owners. Relive their life's adversities with them, and see how living through their challenges helped them discover their authentic selves, ultimately creating a life that they couldn't imagine any differently. And now, here is your host, former athlete, current certified financial planner, and impact entrepreneur, Tim Liu. Hi, and thanks once again for joining me on the In Your Pod Kit podcast. There are a lot of people listening now who will not know who Marina Alex is. Quite frankly, this doesn't surprise me. Not because what she has accomplished isn't worth knowing, which in this instance is hardly the case. Rather, it's because the feats of females, no matter how significant in sport, have always historically taken a backseat to their male counterparts. As a golfer, I'm led to think of Tiger Woods before Annika Sorenstam, Wayne Gretzky before Haley Wickenheiser, and Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic before Serena Williams, just to name a few. I'm convinced that the most powerful moment in sport is when an athlete becomes humanized by their fans. Seeing them up close for the first time, maybe even being acknowledged by them. While social media has allowed athletes to engage fans away from their competitive environments, nothing compares to the intimate access that's given to patrons supporting women's athletics. Yet, interest in their sport continues to wane, and much to the dismay of those who have played the same sport, much like myself. As you listen to Marina, I encourage you to take in, much like a husband, father, brother, or adoring fan would, because this issue has plagued not just players on the LPGA Tour, but female athletes in general. She talks about the wedge that is only being driven deeper between the men's and the women's game on the professional level, yet yearning for equal recognition, the need for there to be more creative outlets for access and watching tournament coverage to coincide with modern entertainment, and in a manner that places them alongside their male peers. Marina gives a player's account of the state of the women's game, offering insight that very few get to actually hear. With that, I hope you enjoy my chat with LPGA star Marina Alex. This episode of In Your Podcast has been made possible by the generous support of Mackie Real Estate. Mackie Real Estate has created a new standard, offering a boutique full-service real estate experience. From their exclusive interior design and home improvement team to their extensive strategic marketing plans, your home is guaranteed to show at its highest standard and get in front of most buyers. Contact them today to find out how they are putting more money in their client's pocket. Today is a big day. I have with me a former two-time SEC Player of the Year, Vanderbilt Commodore Hall of Fame member, LPGA Tour winner, Solheim Cup member, and a perennial top 50 ranked player in the world. Welcome to the In Your Pocket podcast, Marina Alex. Hi, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. It's such a pleasure for me to really have you on here. And I'm very glad you came on the pod with me today, not just because you're a big deal, but because I wanted to talk to somebody with, well, I guess who has much more credibility than myself when it comes to this specific topic. Politics aside, we're talking about something that is, I think, so much bigger than us. And to me, it represents a glaring disconnect between business and sport, where 
I think there's some who are actively involved in bringing awareness to this, some who don't know, and others who really don't care at all to know about the division that exists between, I guess, the largest tours for golf. So yeah. please let everyone listening, I guess, know your thoughts on these two words that I think are commonly used when comparing the men's and the women's game, which is, yeah, but. I know, that is so the truth. And sometimes I am a little vocal on Twitter. I feel like my Instagram is like a very nice, friendly place. And then my Twitter is a place to kind of get heated with people who I just feel like maybe need a little bit of an education on the women's game. And that's mainly what it is. It, it's nothing other than I think there are some overarching assumptions about how women play the game. Um, the difference mainly is in the distance. And I think a lot of people who watch men's golf and maybe don't watch as much women's golf focus solely on how far the men are hitting it, the scores that they're shooting relative to the length of the golf courses and all of those things kind of create a bit of a divide between the two tours. So that's always an argument that I hear in terms of why we don't have better TV times or why we don't have purses that are higher and, you know, we don't bring that entertainment value. And I just think that people are looking for a direct comparison and, you know, much like the genders in themselves, you know, men are different than women in a lot of different ways. And I think each have their own qualities. And I think if we just focus more on what each of them do in differently, but well, you know, you can kind of com compare them side by side and respect them for what they each do. And I, and I think that there's a lot that the women's game can offer a, any golfer at most levels, you know, whether you're a starting out junior or whether you're just, you know, uh, kind of like a weekend warrior and you, you love to play, um, you know, money matches with your friends. I mean, with the small exception of maybe, you know, some former athletes that are now picking up the game and I'm talking former athletes at a high level, no one's really hitting it at the distances that these guys on the PJ tour are hitting. And I mean, that's, that's what they do, you know, just like what we do day in, day out, they're training, um, you know, fine tuning the technology, working out with their coaches and we're doing all that too. And, and you see how far they hit the ball, but our game is actually a little bit more comparable to a, to anyone else playing the game, you know, and, and there's a lot to learn from what the women do when they're playing the precision, um, you know, the wedge control, the ability to hit hybrids and woods and hit it in the fairways and learn how to manage a golf course instead of necessarily overpowering a golf course. And I think that when fans can start to appreciate what that actually is and how that can help them, I think that will kind of change the dialogue on how we look at it as opposed to a, yeah, but which is still, I think probably about 50% of what we get, but it's changed. It's changing. I would say in the last couple of years, there's been much more of an openness to watching women's golf on TV and actually holding it in a respectable um, equivalent to the men's game. Yeah. And personally, I, I find it a little ridiculous that I personally need to explain to, I guess, like, quote unquote, the average golf fan, like what the Solheim cup is like, that yeah. should not be. A I know. Thing, yet and, it that, is. and that is, and that is hard, you know, and, and I think, 
I just hope that over time with how we utilize social media, you know, there's just, it's going to be in everyone's face a little bit more, you know, it's hard to ignore something that is talked about all the time. And, and the more that we talk about it, I think the more people will be like, okay, you know what? I'm going to watch that. I'm going to see what it's about. And it's like, as soon as you watch it, I think that you, you will completely change how you feel about women's golf. Oh, big time. If, if anybody needs to get fired up, just, you know, watch your, your singles match with Suzanne Patterson. there. Oh. Uh, <laughs> that's enough. Yeah. Um, I want to tackle this issue with you from maybe a little bit of, of a different angle than I think what's already been put out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like the marketing efforts of lifestyle brands has kind of helped usher in a new kind of golfing audience. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think of how the sport has really become transcended from, I guess, like the prim and proper khaki polo, like half tight yeah. sweater over the back crowd um, to now you know, people coming into the club with, you know, hoodies and sneakers, grabbing road beers on the way to the first tee and women like yourself who are really challenging the status quo, taking a retroactive look at your playing career from, I guess, the time you left Fandy to now, how -hmm. would you say that the consensus opinion has changed towards the women's game? If uh, you think at all? Um, I, I definitely think it's changed, you know, in the sense of we are being respected more and you know i even look at like the girls at bandy right now when i was there you know we were wearing oxford clothing which is like unheard of and it's mainly a men's brand and then we would get some very rudimentary like not well designed you know shirts and khakis and skirts and then i look you know and there's a lot of money being put into the program which i'm i'm thrilled to see uh you know, from apparel, you know, they they wear Nike, they look athletic, they look good. Um, they have, you know, connections with PXG, they're getting equipment, which is a, a complete change from when I was there, you know, eight, 10 years ago. Um, even the facilities that they have access to, and like all of these things have come tenfold, which is great. And so to me, just looking at what I can see in front of me, to know that that's happening means that it's definitely happening more than just there. It's happening at the ground level, like in a lot of places. And I think that that is really important. Um, just to know that these car, most of these companies are trying to put their resources into women's golf. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the facilities portion of it because my first memories of seeing parity and I think the men's and women's game first happened in college. And, Mm. uh, you know, I played for a mid-major where objectively there was a huge difference in the quality of the facilities available to each team. Like we played at a course that hosted a a tour event, whereas like the women played at a very nice course in its own right, but it paled in comparison with, I mean, I say that with all due respect. No. And, and that's, then that's fair. Um, And I actually think that the disparity, oddly enough, it has grown at the professional level um, between the men and the women in terms of access to um, facilities and equipment and things that you would think would the, the gap would bridge. It's actually gotten wider at the professional level. I'm happy to see that at the collegiate and the amateur level, you know, that it, the investment is there, but you know, you're dealing with big, big organizations, you know, universities that are putting, putting up, what the necessarily funds are, where we are the LPGA are kind of responsible, you know, for a lot of what we can invest in. And that's where you see a huge difference because PGA Tours resources are 
grossly yeah i mean they they're just they're so much larger than what we can afford to do and mm. you know that's that's a tough part in itself but then i think we just are not seeing some of these manufacturers step up you know and spend more time at events we have some great ones you know we have great representation from ping and callaway and pxg um in terms of golf clubs themselves but then you know we see a lack in access to equipment you know on the road from tailor-made and from titleist and yeah we have our rep who comes out with golf balls but you know we don't have access to titleist equipment week in and week out um you know so that's kind of like if you're counting those as i guess would be like your big five um you know we have three out of the five every week um and we deal with one trailer that is shared amongst all those reps and, you know, the club builder of our tour. And it's just, you go to a men's event and there's probably six or seven trailers, you know? So that's where I really, I would love to see things change for, for us. Um, and just prioritizing some of that for these companies to see the, the value in investing in the, in the women's game. I mean, the, the market is there in the sense of, if you want women to pick up golf and watch golf, you know, I think that you need to put in a little bit of the money to make us have a little bit more of a presence. And, and that will, maybe I, I want to say hope get another demographic of people picking up the game because that's important is to keep, keep your amateurs and all of that, you know, reinvesting in the game of golf. You alluded to, I guess, the bridge between the two tours, and I want to kind mm. of maybe focus a little bit on at the tournament level here. I'm yeah. sure you know enough PGA guys to answer this. So can you bring the listeners inside the ropes with you for one full week at any tournament? It doesn't have to be this week. Um, okay. And this is no shot at any kind of tournament or organizers, right? But can you give us an idea as to what might differentiate an LPGA event from that of a PGA event? And, and well, in what regard, like actually the amenities, like once we're there are, are usually pretty good. Um, we actually treat our staff, I think a bit better than what the PGA tour does, uh, you know, our caddies and our player guests. So if we have like a registered trainer or a registered, um, you know, a, a, like a family member or something like that, you know, in a non COVID year, obviously things are different now because we're trying to limit contact with everyone, but you know, before 2020 it's most of the time we could bring two and sometimes three people into player hospitality with us. So that means they get access to like all the food and, and everything that we get, which is nothing like the PGA tour, you know, they have their player dining and that's just for the players only. And then the caddies and the trainers and anyone else is kind of just, um, they, you know, have to do their own thing. There is stuff provided for them, but I know from, just chit chats that the caddy experience in that regard is better for them on the LPGA than the PGA tour. I mean, and the trade-off is you're playing for much bigger purses on the PGA tour. So, you know, um, your salary and your income is, is a lot higher, but I actually do think that the tournament organizers themselves do a great job with the budget that they have in terms of making us feel like we are at a professional event um it it mainly comes down to television and purses and and the purses come from the television really but um you know they they treat us 
they treat us like we are the utmost professionals. It's just being able to have the ability to do a little bit more. And that just comes from having more money. Okay. So on that and what you Mm -hmm. alluded to before, for a lot of reasons, I think that the general public is missing out on a product that's not only truly premium, but one that the average player can benefit from seeing more regularly. I I mean, we're coming off of a week where Lydia Ko just broke a tournament scoring record, like post-under. What path do you think that the LPGA needs to pursue in order to get their product in front of more people in a way that's more accessible than it is now? I think it's just a level of creativity and I don't know exactly where things stand in terms of contract cycles with things like golf channel and, and all of that in term and in the sense of what we can and cannot do from that regard. But I think, you know, more streaming, more ability to access it easily on, you know, Hulu has live sports, Amazon starting to have live sports, um, you know, getting, us on a, on a medium like that, where we're in the eyes of a few more people where they might be scrolling and be like, Oh, let me watch that. You know, not everyone is tuning into cable television anymore. Um, you know, I know a lot of people don't even buy cable. They buy like, you know, YouTube TV or something like that. And so I think we have to be a bit creative in the sense. And if, if it's allowable, like in our contracts to to kind of you know give our coverage and our rights to some of these other platforms so that we can be streaming in different ways and people can access it maybe even at a time that they want to you know it doesn't doesn't even need to be like yes live is great but what if you were like i'm gonna watch a show and you you know flip on prime or netflix or Hulu, Hulu and Prime specifically, because they're already doing sports and that can come up on the ticker. Like, Hey, do you want to watch like round three of the Lotte championship? And you can click on it and then see what you, you know, started from the beginning, fast forward it. If you want, I don't know, you know, whatever, um, looking for something specific, I think just having a little bit more of an ability to watch sports, the way you could watch everything else is, you know, kind of, to me, seems like a no brainer. Yeah, totally. Um, okay. So on that, I want to go back to 2011 where Mike Wan, mm-hmm. who, who's the, I guess, a fellow Macker like myself and, and current CEO of the LPGA tour, um, yeah. he gave a talk at our conference championships. So it made me think, or I guess realize first and foremost, that the two tours were partners and not a single entity, which might be surprising for a lot of people. Um, but he also made me think differently about the business side of sport, leaving me feeling, I think, very optimistic about the future prospects of your tour. And now um, that I find myself maybe 10 years, I think 10 years, yeah, removed from that talk, like in his departure for the USGA is imminent. Mm-hmm. What might you expect of the next person who succeeds him, as well as what his new position with the USGA might mean for the women's game? Um, you know, there, that's a, like a very loaded question. I think Mike has set up like a really good foundation. He's made some really incredible, um, partnerships with companies that are both, you know, title sponsors, but also, also corporate partners for us. Um, and that is a great, like that, that took a lot of time, took a lot of energy, um, you know, took years and years of, you know, successfully running events and drawing, crowds, bringing in, you know, enough TV ratings, all of that, you know, to kind of keep these sponsors coming back. So like that is in itself, um, you know, a huge accomplishment that he has achieved for us and kind of set 
and left in a very good place in, in that foundation. And I think with whoever is coming in and I, I, we, we don't really know what direction that's going yet. Um, but I'm sure we'll find out soon enough. I think the next step is going to be the more like the outward pressure. I think that a lot of businesses and sports are feeling in the sense of like trying to bridge that equality pay gap. Um, and I, and I think that that is going to be, you know, the tough part for, the commissioner coming in and, you know, figuring out whatever that is from a creative standpoint to get us in the eyes of more people so that we are worth a bit more so that we can play for a bit more and that our TV times, you know, we, we have to fight for a little bit more primetime slots so that we're seen at, at certain hours. But then again, you know, if you are a little bit more creative and, and where you can stream and how you can stream, um, then that also could you know, increase the amount of people tuning in as well. And that's the, that's the tough part. Now, in terms of him and what his role would be at the USGA and how that, what that means for, um, I mean, it's a completely different perspective. You know, USGA has always kind of, I feel like had the, I guess it's like a stuffy kind of vibe where, you know, everyone feels like they don't, they don't understand, you know, what it is to run a championship event in the regard of they don't play the courses themselves, right? They, you know, players sometimes complain about crazy setups and this and that. And like, you know, it's an amateur run organization, but yet you're holding professional championships. And so I think that his, you know, 10 plus years at the LPGA running professional events and understanding how that works is only going to help them moving forward in, in their, in running the U S open and the women's U S open. So that in itself will be good. And, you know, who knows what he is going to try and bring to that in terms of increased corporate marketing and corporate sponsorship. He's been really successful at creating those relationships for us in the past. So I can't imagine he won't excel, you know, continuing to do um, some sort of role, you know, in that regard for the USGA and just hopefully bringing in, you know, more dollars to be spread around, around all of the championships. On that note, I, I remember reading an article that was put out maybe a couple of years ago that, that I guess took a survey of all the junior players playing competitive golf. And I think it was North America where it said only about 30 some odd percent were actually female. So in your opinion, what will have to change um, in the women's game, perhaps, perhaps at a grassroots or, oh my gosh, what will yeah, have to okay. change at a grassroots, at a grassroots level? level. I, yeah. Yeah. Um, over the next however many years in order to make it even more exciting sport that attracts more talented, marketable young women, not unlike yourself. I think it's happening. I, I mean, I can see it just from what I see out on tour as a player and just the talent that comes in, you know, at such a young age. So it's happening. Like there's no way that you have a Brooke, Brooke Henderson's Lydia Coe's, you know, Nellie Corda's, um, the Gentana Garn sisters, all of these, um, players, you know, coming in at, I mean, Lydia, like at a beyond a young age, but, and, and Lexi, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old, like really dominating. Um, so it's, it's happening. And actually in our most recent discussions of this, like amongst players, the junior level, um, girl demographic is actually growing 
at a rapid rate, like at a rate that's higher than the boys. So it, it is, it is becoming more enticing for them. I mean, whether it's, whether they're watching the PJ tour or the LPGA tour, like at that level, like it, I, that is, doesn't matter to me because it's at least getting them into the game and keeping juniors interested and keeping golf in their hands, whether that is like they go to college or it's just a lifelong sport for them, or they become a professional, like as long as it's like keeping golf in the picture, I think it's a success, you know? And I I do think that it is happening. It's just maybe hard to see, um, you know, unless you look at the statistics of it, but it, but it is, it is for sure happening that junior girls are picking up more golf clubs. Okay. Maybe I want to press the pause button right here and and maybe pivot to a different topic quickly and then kind of come back to the golf side. But I caddy for one of our mutual friends, shout out Nicole Vandermaid. Um, And let me tell you, like my body really appreciated her bringing out the tour bag for the week. Just saying. (laughs) Um, Like I've always been a real big fan of her game and I thought that she would, or I guess she might develop into a real nice player out there. But I guess, unfortunately, life doesn't happen that way. Like it doesn't work out, always work out the way we want it to. Um, So having enjoyed the success that you have in your career to this point, like I'm interested to know like how you approach striking a balance between rewarding yourself and then being maybe fiscally responsible so you can continue living a life that's exciting to you whenever that time comes. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I've always been, you just don't know when your last day is going to be. And that is, it's very much the truth. Like I've actually had a pretty, um, serious back injury the last, you know, I've been battling the last six or seven months. It took me out of playing, you know, from September of 2020 until March where I I couldn't compete at all. And that, you know, and I honestly didn't know when I would be back. I didn't know at what level of health I will be, would have been back. And I'm still kind of battling with that. So, you know, you, like, you just don't know in athletics when, you know, the end of the road is going to happen because it does happen for everyone. So I think that for me and, and with the fact that we're not out there, you know, playing for one, $2 million checks every week where, you know, you win a tournament on the PGA tour. I mean, that is truly life-changing in a lot of ways. Um, so I would say a lot of the LPGA players are very much like financially um, responsible human beings because yes, you can make an, an incredible living and you can set yourself up to save and, you know, maybe transition into a different career path for a majority of us, you know, this is not going to be the only thing we'll, we'll ever do. Um, some people may be so there that they've done so well for themselves that, you know, golf is like their, their only, um, occupation, but for the rest of us, that's probably not going to be the case. So it teaches you a lot of good things, a lot of good skills. Um, but it also does teach you the perspective of, you know, you're, you, you, you're not going to live this way forever. Right. You're just, you're just not. So it teaches you to be um, responsible, but also appreciative of, of what you can do now. And, and that's important, you know, to just one day you may wake up and like, like if something happens physically and golf's never the same again, you know, that's, that unfortunately means the end could be the end of your job. Um, and so you have to just treat it as, you know, I got to take advantage of what I can when it's in front of me. Okay. 
Now, as we wind down, as of right now, the fellows are playing, you know, a team event in New Orleans. Mm. I've been big on having, I guess, a co-sanctioned or at least a co-ed event to make golf more exciting for the viewers, much like myself. I'd have to imagine that this is something that you might be appealing to someone like you. Oh, yeah. I think all of us are. I actually think the men's players are, too. I think it would be a really awesome concept. It's just more like getting the two tours together to, like, logistically figure it out. and it would be in our best interest, obviously. Um, I think it would be in their best interest, but I mean, who knows, you know, I just, it's hard to say how they run their business operation, but I think that there'll be enough pressure to, to kind of put that together. Yeah. Well, I mean, like considering I have such a big audience here in the pod. uh... Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So um, I'm curious to know who would you want to play with since I think, unfortunately for me, I'll be working. So sorry. (laughs) Um, I mean, if it was like a PGA tour and LPGA player, you know, I have like one of my really good friends who's kind of bounced between PGA corn Ferry. He actually played um, a fair portion of his early a professional career um on the canadian tour his name is andre gonzalez and he is like one of my best guy friends who plays men's golf anyway he would definitely be my go-to partner we would just i think we would have a ton of fun beauty um okay so i see that you're wearing a pretty sweet lpg yep. hoodie um i know that you we were just talking about it a little bit before we hopped on here but uh lpga launched a new campaign and Yes. It was actually, I think, one thing that the uh, one of the NBA guys was wearing on his hoodie. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So it's called the hashtag hoodie for golf. But um, the whole concept of this hoodie is to raise money for the Renee Powell Foundation. And I believe it is the Clearwater Foundation as well. So Renee Powell was one of our founding members on the LPGA tour, first African-American woman to compete on the LPGA. And she has a foundation set up and that is to basically help, you know, minorities, African-American girls, um, get into golf. You know, golf has this stigma of being very exclusive. And I think that that is something that we're definitely trying to change culturally speaking across the game. And so it's kind of a win-win, you know, in the sense of, this hoodie is out, sold on the LPGA Pro Shop um, websites so as lpgaproshop.com. All the proceeds for this hoodie are going to her two foundations. And the other amazing thing about, you know, Renee is her dad was actually the first African-American golf course designer and builder in the States. Um, so, you know, they are maybe not talked about enough in, in the golf world in, in the sense of what they have accomplished what they've done, you know, trailblazers. And this is a way for us as an organization to kind of give back, but also at that grassroots ground level, get more people into golf that I think we desperately need, you know, a more well-rounded representation of people out here playing. And it's just important to continue to push for that. And, you know, it's funny, I've gotten a couple of people ask me and they're like, oh man, you know, it's $75. And I'm like, okay, Yes, but if you actually read what it's going towards, you know, with the exception of whatever the cost is to make this, the rest of it is going towards these two foundations. And that's important. You know, the importance is to raise the money. It's not about what the cost of the hoodie is or even that, you know, yes, it's good for, I think, our tour to also get a little bit of 
not it's just kind of like getting the awareness out there like oh lpj you know you just kind of put something in front of someone's face and they may not necessarily consciously you know put a and b together but they're just giving them a sense of like you know this tour exists these women play golf but also you know this hoodie is going towards something that is really trying to make a difference and you know you just got to try to get those baby steps to to change what the what the face of golf is and I think it just it needs to have a little bit more of a of a welcoming face you know and it even goes to the what we talked about a bit briefly about um you know what we're wearing to play golf and how that's changed over the course of 10 years there's so many things in golf to me that seem like it pushes people away because it's a little intimidating and I think that when we can relax that that culture it doesn't mean we need to lose respect for the game by any means but I just think relaxing the vibe and the culture of it will just allow anyone to want to play it when it is not so much what seems like a challenge to pick up a golf club and go to a, whether it's a driving range or a course and play you know then you will get more people into it and and then I think I think that's what we're trying to like change over yeah, the more I'm talking to you right here, Marina, the more I'm kind of realizing that golf is much more than a game, right? It is. It can be more than a game. And it's like most sports, you know, yes, it's entertainment value, but it also is a platform to do other things. And it's like you have to kind of meld the two and just, yes, provide the entertainment, but also when it calls for it to like use that platform to try and do something better. And that's what we're trying to do. So just before we hop off here, I ordinarily mm -hmm. I'd say, you know, I want to put you on the hot seat, but you've been on the hot seat for about 40 minutes now. So <laughs> uh, do you have any parting words for the listeners, uh, you know, until at least I have you back on here to pick your brain a little bit more? I think that, you know, if you are a golf fan or if you're not a golf fan, you know, there um, maybe you'll become one after listening. But I think that, you know, just to maybe, you know, give a little tune into what women's sports in general are doing it's not even just golf but you know um and i'm sure in canada you know women's hockey is is a huge deal but probably doesn't get as much of the notoriety that the men's league does and you know soccer basketball like all of these sports need constant support and i think that's the biggest thing like i can talk about the lpga all day long but i also need to do the other sports the same justice that I'm doing my own. And that is talking about them and getting people, you know, focusing on them because, Hey, you may not be a golf fan, but you may be a basketball fan or you may be a soccer fan. And you know what, if you are, you should probably be trying to tune into both men's and women's game. And that's, I think probably the biggest thing I could pull from all of this. Yeah. There's a, a nice saying that I, I've heard quite recently. It's uh, you know, vote with your feet when you know maybe you can't do it so far or so much these days but maybe with your fingers and choosing where you uh you know tune into but yeah i like it i like it thank you so much for being on here marina i Thanks, really Sam. can't tell you how much i appreciate it yeah of course have a good one i hope you now have a better understanding of the tilted tables that the women in sport today being golf face on a daily basis at least as much as one can in a 30-minute interview 
This chat was particularly appealing to me, mostly because of how impressive an interview Marina actually is, as well as how she approaches advocating for her sport in an equal tone as she does for others, which is something that I feel is missed when this topic comes to the surface. On a different note, I would love to see not only a co-sanctioned event for the sake of shining a spotlight on the product that the LPGA circuit offers and giving more people a sense of what they've been missing out on. Also, if you haven't heard of Andreas Gonzalez, it might be worth your time in checking him out. With a mustache like that, I can only imagine how he would be worth a follow. Until next time, thanks again for joining me in talking about the things that matter. For more information about our guests, please visit the show notes. Until next time, we wish you luck in your own journey and recognizing the things that matter to you.